You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. Uh, Sam's with me today, and we've also got a special guest by the name of Mike Caulfield. Mike, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Um, thanks for having me on. Absolutely no problem. Um, and for the people who don't know who you are, do you mind sort of explaining yourself very briefly for us? Yeah, okay, so briefly, um, I was an F1 race strategist for 12 years, plus over a span of 16 years. Um, yeah, and now I'm still working in the sport, but not quite on the front line anymore. So I've taken a little bit step back, but still doing quite a bit in terms of strategy analysis and 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 that sort of thing. And um, what about the teams that you've worked for? You've you've worked for Mercedes, Haas as well. Yes, yeah, Mercedes, Haas. Um, first role was with Honda, um, which obviously became Mercedes. So um, yeah, so they're, they're the three um, main ones. So how did you get into um, th- th- this world of uh, being at the top of your game of F1, getting into obviously being a race strategist. It's not your your average career route. I mean, everyone's a race strategist, right? We all point at the TV and say, oh, you should have pitted then. What, what, are, what are these guys doing? But obviously there's a lot more to it and you can't just go in as, you know, me or Sam. Yeah, so I mean, it, to be fair, I, I mean, you, you make that fair point. It wasn't ever something I kind of looked at and went, oh, that's what I want to do. It never really crossed my mind. Um, I went to university and did engineering. Um, so I was doing aeronautical engineering, but 
at that point. Um, it was covering a broad basis of things. So even when I started university, it wasn't kind of my case of, oh, I want to go and work in F1. It was a, an opportunity came up that um, Honda at the time were offering student placements, so year-long placements. Um, and I applied and I was lucky enough to get, I think at that point, I mean, they've grown massively in, over the time, but this is back in 2006. So I was lucky to be one of six people who got got a job there, which, uh, which I was there for a year. Um, I mean, the majority of that job role was with in the vehicle dynamics group. So just basically learning the trade, really, just kind of looking at simulations, looking at all the kind of ins and outs of um, F1 back then. Um, but at that point as well in the sport, strategy was still a fairly new um, process. So I think you'd have been lucky. I think each team had a strategist, but that would have been it. There was no such thing as your kind of strategy groups, which you have now where you've essentially got some teams which have got four or five or even six people working on them. At that point, it was you'd have one strategist and then someone like myself who was, I got the opportunity to help out. So I did a couple of days a week um, doing a bit of support and then over races, again, doing that little bit of bit of support, just just a bit, bit of data analysis, really, just kind of processing it. Again, back then the tools were very basic. So it was a lot of it was kind of processing what do we want to see? How do we want to see it? Um, the timing wasn't as comprehensive as it, as it is now. So I was, I guess I was a little bit lucky at the point where I got into the spot at a time where the strategy was in a pretty infant stage. So yeah, I mean, like I said, the, the timing systems, we were, we were either having to use like OCR recognition to pull it off the TV feeds um, and, or we were then getting it from the PDFs at the end, again, stripping it out there and trying to populate databases and, and bringing it in. But by doing that, you start to learn lots of ins and outs of right, what else do we need to know? What else do we need to plot? How, how, how can we analyze the competitor nature? So, yeah, like I said, I was lucky over that year. I got that taste of it and really enjoyed that side of things, really. It was a case of not just the strategy as in and like when to pit, but just the cold competitor analysis, how it ties in. I think one thing which is kind of misunderstood from a strategy side as well, which kind of fans don't really take into account, or maybe don't know, is that it's not just strategy. You've got to have a, like a broad understanding of everything that's going on. So competitor analysis is a huge part of it because you need to know roughly how your competitors are going to be fair to, to plan your strategy. So at that point, you need to have that understanding of the aerodynamics you need to have a bit of understanding of vehicle dynamics you need to have a bit of understanding of race engineering so you need you just you touch on everything a little bit and just get that general understanding and then even stuff like get a help out with well not help out with pit stops but you go and do a pit, pit, pit stop analysis and you work with the mechanics so it was kind of that broad spectrum which um yeah which got me interested in it and Again, even even after that year, it wasn't that kind of final part, right? That's it. I'm, I'm going to be a race strategist. I knew I wanted to get back involved in F1 once I'd done my year placement, but still that kind of role of going down and being a full time race strategist still wasn't kind of yeah top of the list. It was like oh, I still like to do a bit of race engineering. I like to do a bit of performance engineering, but again, that strategy role was is quite key in in getting that little bit of little bit of everything. Yeah, kind of. Well, you're a master of strategy and then not a master of anything else, but you know those little bits of everything else. So it was, yeah, that, that's that's kind of how it came about, really. And, um, yeah, and kind of found, found the flames of my interest in it. Well, that's, it's, it's really interesting to, see how, to hear how kind of 
infant strategy was uh, you know as recently as kind of you know 15 years ago and obviously it's progressed a long way what does that kind of look like now what kind of what software systems kind of level of information and data do you have and how different is it from you know 15 years ago in that sense i mean it's night and day i mean in, in the grand, grand scheme of things yeah, it, it develops quite quickly from that early stage so like i said i was there 06 07 and came back into the sport in Te, uh, in 09 or 10. So I was out for like a year when I finished off at uni and then a little bit of a sabbatical just outside of work. Um, and even in that stage, it had taken a little bit of a step as everyone had started to know the importance of strategy. But yeah, we're saying now it's like, like I said, most most teams have got that kind of five or six people in the, in the groups. And then, yeah, lowest numbers are kind of two or three, but you still got it there. Everywhere, all the time, all the software now is kind of live data. So you're looking at doing your live simulations. So as the data comes in, you're constantly doing your kind of Monte Carlo, your, your simulations, which are random variability. You've, you've obviously got a lot of deterministic tools. You've, you've now to a point where you've got so much data coming in, but like you've got obviously GPS, which is the huge one, which is, which came available in about, I think it was about, 2011, 2012, that, that came freely available to the teams, but you still had to do something with it. It was kind of a very raw feed. But that kind of GPS data that then takes that next bit in because you can then start looking down that competitor analysis route, even digging into it, like feeding it into your own simulations, trying to work out kind of how your car com- compares to others when you're in over a set variable, what kind of LOD ratio. Team, other teams are running compared to you. If if you've gone down the right path, or they've gone down the right path, and so many little variables in that. And then going forward as well is you've obviously got the building of the video information you've got as well. So yeah, back then, back in the early days, you'd have got the main feed, which would have been coming over a terrestrial channel, and you might have been lucky to have got an onboard or two onboards. But if you'd kind of got a German subscription because at that point they German Sky had it, whereas over here it was still on terrestrial TV, so they didn't have the kind of red button or any of the, any of that aspect. So you were like limited to your your information you could get even on from a video point of view. Whereas now you've got access to every single car's on board. You've got access to like the main feed, um, replays, high definition. Um, so even doing that analysis for like the driver side of things, but even the competitor side of things is is just you build on it so it's i mean it's it's kind of hard to explain it's just how much you're going because the data is isn't the data isn't exactly huge in terms of what comes in but obviously we get timing in there which is basically yeah your three sectors start finish line uh, speed traps that kind of stuff and then you get gps but then what you can actually do with that is a huge amount. So like you can just start plotting now. You can look at mini sectors of the lap. You can look at kind of your yeah, corner analysis into splitting to low, high, medium speed corners, so like looking at all that. You can start delving down because you've got the GPS. You can start looking into how kind of other teams are doing in terms of trying to track their fuel loads in practice sessions, which obviously gives you that better read of where you stand relative to them coming into a weekend. And it's this whole conversation going back over like a couple of years ago where I said, obviously some of the best races people have had are, are, are we've seen are ones where practice has been wiped out. And that's because just you, you go into the weekends a little bit blind. But even then, 
a lot of the weekends you kind of follow on from years before you you've got enough data going into weekend but all right this season a little bit different because of the huge rig changes the tires change gone to the 18 inch rim so you're a little bit unknown but like say for last season if you had any weekend which was a two-day weekend or the practice wiped out you had a quite a substantial amount of data over the previous years where you could kind of go okay i'm pretty confident this is what the tires are going to do and you can pretty once it comes in the race again once it comes into the race, the data is there coming in live. You can quickly track, right, what's our tire degradation doing? Oh, this is our expected tire degradation. Okay, wrong plan. Okay, it's a little bit off. However, you've gone into the race with your simulations looking at, right, the tire's going to do this. What happens if you do, it? like, it's 2% worth deg, 5% worth deg, where life's a little bit shorter. So you, as soon as the race starts, you can kind of minim- pull it all out there and see where you line up. And I think it's just that ability to harness the data, which was there in the past. It was just difficult to access, whereas now it's um, it's gone and all the software is built around that. So like every week, the software is kind of being developed to say, right, what else do we want to look at? What, what else can we look at? Um, and and there's always more views. There's always, you've come across a race weekend, like last year, it was um, the Russia um, Sochi race where it rained um towards the end of the race yeah towards the end of the race wasn't it um and it's that kind of thing it's right right how could we have planned for that better how what what could we have done with it because we we've got all this data we could have we could have looked at this and and got this data quickly to see how much of the track was this kind of intermediate conditions and how much of it was still dry to try and get that change over to like we had the lando and lewis one and 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 obviously Lando gambled on it and they say, but if, if we were going, well, actually we didn't have a, we didn't have a view where it was easy visible. You could see it, but you'd have had to do quite a bit of kind of dragging and dropping to try and see it. Whereas now we go, right, let's, let's develop the software. So that's visible straight away. It just picks up people on tires, picks up people on intermediate tires and quickly shows, right. These parts of the lap are now intermediates. This is dry. Yeah. You should pick. And it's, it's, I, I, I had a comment the other day. Or, um, I read a comment in an article, but and this is kind of because you hear a lot of people saying that oh, it's all driven by computers. It's all driven by like software in in these days and stuff. But I kind of class a strategist as as a workman. So you can have all the best tools in the world if you don't know how to use them. You, you're still not gonna. You're still not gonna. You still need to know what to do for, with them. What to look for them, and, and it's why. I often talk to a lot of people and like kind of students and stuff and say, oh, I want to be a strategist. And it's great, great. But be prepared for it. It'll take you three to four years of just kind of getting that experience. So it's, it's again, it's different scenarios which come up and you go, uh, you get that in understanding of how things happen and um, and how you react to it. And yeah, it's it's just that process of building it because there's lots of little bits and pieces of people that you say, everyone's a strategist, everyone comes on on a Monday and goes, well, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> it's quite easy in hindsight to look at it, but at the time when you've got seven things going on, it's um, you've got people talking on four different radio channels at you to, to, to try and filter that out and, and get that best information. So, uh, yeah, like, like you've said, um, it, it's about getting the data and then how you process it, right? Uh, and making sure you can you can find the key points from that. But in terms of your, your role as a race strategist, so we know on a Sunday you're on the pit wall, but on a Monday, there's so, clearly so much data that you've got to go through, right? Make sure you've got the right data for whatever's happening. Um, 
how do you prepare for a race you know from monday to 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 when when the race is live what what does that look like for for a race strategist because you know again a a new f1 fan might think the drivers just turn up go for a quick race so do the teams the the more keen fans obviously know that this is a, a life it's um you, you've dedicated your life to this so what what's a typical week when you're working in f1 as a race strategist um yeah so, so i think a good way to look at it is yeah take it from a monday i mean more often than not it's that as well before a monday but so let's go back a couple of years ago when you had to do your tire choices for um, actually, and people had different tyre selections coming in. So at that point, Pirelli would, for a European race, would announce the tyres eight weeks before um, eight weeks before the race. And for a flyaway, it was 14 weeks before. So as soon as you got that selection, uh, that the sorry, what tyres it was going to be, and you had to make your selection, you were then looking in at data to say, kind of, right, um, what's, what, what, what do we need? What do we do? So you start planning out your, your whole weekend. So you're looking at what you're trying to achieve, what are the possible scenarios going to occur, how the tie is going to behave. So in that point, you go, right, what ties did we have last year? Um, did we have the same tire selections last year for this race as we do this year? Have the tires changed from last year to this year as in probably changed the specification of the compounds a little bit? So in that situation, yeah, like say for flyaway, you're 14 weeks before you were starting to plan your actual weekend out of going. Right. What what do we need to do? What do we need to achieve going into the race? What can we sacrifice? Because again, F one's a lot about compromises in strategy and setup. So sometimes you obviously can't run every single tire exactly how you want it before a race. So some things you have to go right. We've got a ninety percent confidence that this tire is going to do this. So we can sacrifice running that on a Friday because we need to get information on these other two compounds. Um, so you'd have to go through, you'd have your chats with your race engineer, you'd have your chats with your tyre engineer, and you'd try and come up with a kind of, basically at that point, you're doing your initial simulation. So you're kind of, kind of say, right, what do we expect this race to be? Is it going to be a one-stop? And if it's going to be a one-stop, is it going to be between what two tyres? And if it is a one-stop, you, you generally it's a little bit easy in terms of tyre choice because you go, okay, we only need two sets of tyres. Not a problem. Which two sets it is, it doesn't matter. We're going to carry three of I'm going to carry one of each into the race anyway because basically that's how the regulations go if it's a two-stop however and this is the situation you've got to go however what happens if we see something worse what happens if the dead's worse and it goes to a two-stop what tires do we need to have available for the race and we can't have burnt up on a friday so you start going through all those scenarios and you've got to kind of basically plan your weekend plan play plan what's your best scenario what you're trying to achieve what information you need to find out so you go into the race going well, i really need to and i really need to get some information on this because we didn't run the safe in melbourne last week so well we didn't run the c5 last year it was a c4 and we're running a c5 this week so obviously we're expecting it to be a poor tire so do we just concentrate and making sure we got the information on the c2 and c3 or do we want to run that c5 at some point on a, on a long run so they're the kind of in the, in the past, they were the initial kind of conversations which we started having like 14 to eight weeks before our race. I, I'm a bit mind blown here. So you, you're in the middle of an F1 season. So you've got maybe a race coming out this week, but you're already thinking all the way down um, about strategy for a race in eight weeks, like you've said. So Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I'll put it one way. It's like, it's, uh, well, this is, obviously this has changed now because really bring the same, everyone has the same set of tyres now. So they, they've changed that off over. But 
yeah, it, ultimately, I remember one year, one year, because obviously the beginning of the season used to be the flyaways. So at the beginning of the season, you were generally having to submit your tyre allocation in December. Um, so one time I was having to do, actually, I was doing it on Boxing Day, I was doing uh, some simulations for China because, like, it, it was due in on, like, the 2nd of January or something like that. So you kind of, and obviously everyone's off work. I've been off work for a couple of weeks, but it was like, well, we need, really need to get that. I'll, I'll send that in and then we'll quickly have a quick meeting when we get back so we can issue it. Because everything, you do a presentation, you do it, and you kind of have these discussions because someone might... So what F one's a team, so every someone might come up with a thing. So, oh, have you thought about that? And you're oh, actually a good point. Or the tire engineer might say, no, no. From the data I've seen, from the kind of the Prelly test data, like looks like the tires next year are going to be better. So we can probably be a bit more conservative. Or the tracks changed, and it's kind of one year it was um, one year it was in August, and now it's been moved to March, so or April. So like the weather conditions are very different, and actually, what we saw in August isn't going to happen in August because it's it's twenty degrees cooler and and, and that. But yeah, that ultimately you were having to. It was it was. I'll remember because obviously most of the bonds post shutdown or flyaways. So usually the last submissions of the season were always just before shutdown in August, and having submitted them was always a massive relief because you're like. Now you can literally the second half season just concentrate on the races coming up without suddenly having to go. Oh, actually, I've got to jump on uh, another circuit. Um, but like I said, really have taken that away now. Which, to be honest, I'm not. I don't think it's affected the racing that much. I think it got to a point where generally most teams were bringing the same allocation anyway. And if not, by the time we got to the race and qualifying, we're pretty much the same. So it hasn't really affected the race that much. Um, the racing that much and and actually in, in the increase in schedule and everything but having that um, reduced down and that bit of workload off you is, is actually a massive help in that um let's go back to your original question uh, on a on a monday um yeah you basically be doing your kind of pre-event sim so you you create a pre-event report so it's it's, it's almost aligned to the right what we expected at this circuit um like just even basic things so just giving a refresh on people so like you say right last it's this many laps long this is what we're expecting in terms of pit stop loss um last year's race this was what we've seen in the we saw this many overtakes they mainly took place at these corners um we're looking at an overtake delta of this amount based on last year so you, you're going over like all the historical data so you're building up that and then you start building up a pre-event report which basically puts this all forward and in the same report you'll then kind of put in right this is what we're expecting our tire curves to be so your tire curves your uh, um your degradation your wear life your performance life of them um the offset between them and and how they line up and then then from a strategy's point of view they all get entered into your simulations so you do both a kind of uh free air simulation so a deterministic one so no traffic just pure right what's the optimum stop laps and then you put that one into your more complicated, um, like stochastic simulations. So you Monte Carlo, um, where you start introducing traffic variables, has a slight reactive model. So you're trying to obviously trying to do pit stops, uh, which see where the the windows goes with your tire curves. Is it a one stop? Is it a two stop? Um, obviously, this takes into account what your expected pace is going to be. So you start presenting that to people as well. So this is. Our expected finishing positions, our expected qualifying position. However, 
like the midfield is often very close. He can say, right, we've got a transfer strategy here. So if we've got this, this X, Y, and Z. So you start pulling this all together in kind of a document, really, which then generally takes a couple of days. That'll take your aim is to kind of get it done on Monday, Tuesday. Because then Tuesday you have a meeting with everyone is, and then you present this all. So if there's any questions that gets raised, it's just generally getting that idea across the, to the team. So making sure the race engineers are on board, the chief race engineer, the tire engineer, everyone has a discussion about it. But again, it's about planning your weekend now. So as a strategist, like I said, you've taken away that initial conversation, but I might come up to a race and go, I really need to, on in pre-practice, really my main thing in the long runs in P2, I need to get this information on this tire. Like, it's a bit unknown. That's the most reliable session. So maybe we need to split the cars, have one car running a C3 and one car running a C4. I just need to get a good long run on them and just to, just to make sure so we can just get my confidence on those numbers um, of what it was. And then, then we try and work out elsewhere how we can just get the little bits. But you try and put this across to the group. You put your kind of targets in there and just make sure everyone's on the same page, really. So that's kind of your Monday, Tuesday, that week of gaining a lot of historic data, running your simulations, having your meetings, having your discussions. And also you get the information from other people. So like your tire engineers, your race engineers, um, your aero group was like, well, what's, what kind of setup we're going for? How might this affect us? Any little variables like that, which might come into a, into interplay and into into a race. Um, then on the Wednesday, you'll head out to a track um, generally. So it's kind of more, so I'm talking about general Europeans. It's more just of a travel day, but you obviously just start tying up, still doing a few more simulations. I always like say to people who ask me about strategy, and I'll come to this on a little bit later, but like you can always be doing more. There's a, like it's never ending because there's always something you, you look at and go, going into it. It's kind of I kind of class the Saturday night work as so once you've got your grid, you're qualifying and everything. Everyone else goes off and can have a little bit of a chilled out night on a on a Saturday or just sleep basically. Whereas the strategist then has to work until midnight, one a.m to kind of go over your plan and get everything sorted. But it's kind of like revising for an exam. So you're kind of making sure you cover, you don't exactly know what the questions are going to be, but you've got to try and cover off as many possible outcomes as possible. So if something does arise in the race, you're prepared for it. If like, or even just, it doesn't even have to be a race, but you can mean your strategy meeting on a Sunday morning. You've just got to make sure you have an answer. If a driver comes up and goes, well, what happens if this happens? You've got to have an answer because you've got to, show some confidence and build his confidence in your plan. And if you can't answer something that he's asking you, he's going to start doubting, doubting the plan. So that's that's another part when I was saying that just becoming a strategist isn't straightforward. You need to have that kind of experience and confidence and be able to, to be confident by talking to drivers, sell your plans to the drivers, get them on board with it. Because ultimately, if they're not on board with the strategy, it's going to struggle to, that they're going to, they're gonna the way drivers work, they'll look for a reason for it not to work. So they'll be so you you hear them coming on the radio going, This isn't working, the ties are da, 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 I said this was gonna happen, etc. etc. And like and that's a scenario where no one does it deliberately, but it's just a case of they've never really bought into the strategy, so they don't understand what the plan is going forward of why we're trying why you're trying something like that. So yeah, so it's it's a busy week in that sense. Thursday, Friday, once you get to the track. Thursday is obviously setup day. You often have pit stops in there. You start, you 
talk to the drivers for the first time. So you have a few meetings. Generally, the first days to take up the meetings, just discussing setup, going over the plan again. Um, yeah, talking with talking with drivers. Um, yeah, doing a track walk, checking the track itself, see if anything's different. And some obviously tracks have some slight changes, which maybe make overtaking a bit easier. If you go into a new track, say Miami coming up, or even Melbourne last weekend, where I haven't been for a couple of years, and I had quite a few changes, looking for it and going, trying to work out what may or may not happen. Is the safety car probability going to be actually lowered because of the changes they made to it? The runoffs are quite big. Um, well, the runoffs aren't very big, so you've actually got a high chance of a safety car going there or even a red flag. So you kind of think, right, okay, maybe we need to factor this bit more into our simulations. And it's 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 basically that as Thursday is just double checking your work, just going over it, just getting some ideas in your head of again, what do I need to find out on the Friday? What do I need to look for? And then yeah, and then just going into it. And then usually Thursday as well, strategies tend to have a bit of a part in the pit stops as well. So doing a bit of pit stop analysis, just chatting to the guys. So that's that's kind of what I, both Mercedes and Haas I was doing quite a bit of work with them, just doing a bit of pit stop analysis because ultimately pit stops can have a big effect on your strategy. So so I always tell Curtis Bang that a strategist should take interest and and put work into the into the pit pit team to try and improve them and try and help them out because ultimately they can help your strategy if you've beaten someone in the pit lane and you've gone for an undercut or an overcut or something like that you want that good pit stop so you need to try and obviously the pit guys want to do well but you want to try and help them do what you can there um and then once you're into the weekend it's just yeah it's just flat out from that point just doing getting doing as much analysis as possible on that data and i mean it, it sounds like mentally you have to be focused on the race weekend coming up but also two months three months down the line or at least previously when you were kind of submitting the tire choices i think it was actually gunter steiner actually was one of the people who kind of said that taking that variable away was actually a really big help um during covid but how many plans do you have over a weekend like so you obviously have a plan a plan b during a race but like, how extensive does it go? Like, is it is there a lot of thinking on the fly? Like, how do you kind of keep calm in that situation? Um, again, I think it, it goes back to a little bit of this, what I was saying about experience and kind of just knowing these scenarios. So ultimately, you'll go into a weekend with, yeah, like you say, your plan A, your plan B, your plan C, and you kind of, your possibilities of, right, well, this has a chance of happening. This has a slightly less chance of happening. Well, this might not happen. Or this might this this is what something that is unlikely to happen. But if it does happen, this is what we're going to kind of go. So you try and cover off as much as you can. So there's nothing that hits you with too much of a shock. Um, and that's why people do all these simulations beforehand. And that's why kind of car setups are. More, more, more often than not, cars get to the circuit and they're quite well positioned and set up is not too far off. So it's just a case of tuning it once they do the practice sessions and getting it done. That's obviously a little bit here and there. And then obviously the cars, which have a disastrous weekend, there's just not enough time to recover in terms of if you turn up somewhere and you're in Europe miles off the pace, there's just not enough running to be able to to pull it all the way back you'll, you'll pull some of it back but probably won't get as far so i think it's just that case of you plan for the most likely ones because you can't plan for everything because 
there's obviously millions of permutations of what could or couldn't happen. And it's just a kind of case of trying to recollect if something does happen, recollect your kind of situation of I've, I've experienced that in the past. So uh, that's this is what happened in this scenario. And a lot of this comes down to kind of like more often than not is if there's a, a sporting thing so or regulations kind of stuff or something happens on track and you go, hang on a minute, you're not allowed to do that. And they'll say, and you start having another thing the strategists tend to have is kind of an encyclopedic knowledge of the regulations. So you're kind of like, no, yeah, I mean, that's, he's broken a regulation there. You might not be able to, well, I know some people who can literally call what number it is as well. I've never quite got to that stage, but you, you know roughly what the regulation is. You know, it's definitely against the regs. And then you spot in a guy or your team manager goes, yeah, okay, man, we'll get, we'll get onto that about that. Um, but yeah, it's, in terms of plans, you like, you, you need to be prepared because there's just not enough time to, to fully react. If you, if you stand around for 20 minutes, kind of going, what do we do now? That's your practice session over or that's your qualifying session over. So like you need to be prepared as possible for the most likely scenarios and even the unlikely scenarios you, you've got. That's why the guys who work there, just not just strategists, but everyone there is, they're there for a reason is because they've built up their experience and they've built up their knowledge and if you've got a crash or something everyone knows get in there like this is what we've got to do this is this is how we, how we react to it so i think that's the best way to answer your question really is that yeah there's, there's you can't plan for everything but you've you've just got to hope that you have planned for everything and if you haven't he's just trying to use you you can't stand around thinking about it too long you've just got to try and use your experience and work as a team and kind of bring, bring it all together to, to, to get, get through it. Almost like any direction is better than no direction. Kind of, yeah. you yeah, just need to make a, make a choice. Just yeah. enough time in, 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 in an F1 weekend. If you're, if you're kind of stuck. Yeah. 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 That's it. You, you, you just, you know, every, every probably like, I know people sit at pits for every song, but every time you're not doing something productive. So if you're sat at pits and not doing anything productive, you're not on track being productive, then you're losing time to because every other team is doing something. Even if they're sat in the pits, they're doing a setup change or they're just doing a bit of analysis or, or something. So, yeah. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Mark, if I've understood this right, you you you're, you would plan for a third slap incident, or you know, a, a front wing being knocked off. You've already got the plan in place. You know exactly what's going to happen in, in that scenario because obviously there's a higher chance of it happening. So, that, that, I find that interesting. And as as fans, we always wonder how on earth race strategists are so calm. But I think you've sort of explained that's because the plan's already there. You know exactly what's going to happen. But how do you deal with drivers that aren't calm in that moment? Because obviously they don't have a plan in their head for going in and, and um, you know, having having a bump on the first lap. So uh, how does how do the drivers influence what, what, what a strategist would do? Yeah, again, it's it's so for the drivers, I mean, unfortunately, you, we have those like you'll have a strategy meeting in, in the Sunday morning. So with the drivers, you you have to go through everything with them. So you've got to go through the worst case scenario. So like you say, if this happens on lap one, this is what's going to happen. And most of them are clever enough to know like that. OK, if this does happen, we're going to require x y or z but this is what you kind of tell them you kind of say if nothing happens we're going to be a bit stuck from this point forward and if if, if that's what it is and they kind of get it but you kind of try and again you've got to explain to them and kind of say right this is what happens from this point forward we'll be hoping for a safety car at this point to try and get us back in it or a safety car at that point and we can try and do that which may bring it in you obviously you're not going to be in an optimum position because You've had to make a pit stop on lap one, but it's disaster recovery at that stage. So you go through again the majority of the scenarios with the drivers, and obviously the best drivers take it in and understand it, and kind of, and they'll they'll know the situation. And then during a race, it's a case of sometimes it, it, it's hard because there's a lot going on in a race, but and the driver doesn't know the situation, so he knows literally. He knows what position he's in. Well, sometimes you don't even know what position he's in, but like he can, he can see the car in front. He can see the car behind, but he doesn't know like doesn't know the car who's what's on the edge of his pit window. He doesn't know that three cars in front of have already made that pit stop, which is why we're doing that. So, which is why we're kind of pushing the strategy a bit longer before, and and why it's slightly changed. So, you've got to try and give them as much information as possible before the race to mitigate anything. But at the same time, you can't overload them. So this is where sometimes this kind of back and forth comes in. And it's it sometimes sounds like it's it's them influencing the strategy, but it's not. It's it's kind of it's already been discussed beforehand. So they're kind of reiterating maybe what they already the team's already talked about in the morning. So they'll be kind of like, why are we going long? And then the race engineer will then go back and say, because this is this, and then he'll know it. So it's just because you obviously can't give him up full breakdown of exactly what's happening everywhere in the race and you've just got to kind of build that trust with the driver but yeah what we're doing is is correct we're trying to mitigate for this what's happened but we're pushing on it's all looking fine and that's why if you're off the other race engineers go no we're good and like oh no we got unlucky there because of the safety car um and yeah it's that kind of explanation to the drivers beforehand just to get them kind of in that position that they're not confused when it's going out because obviously it's they're literally in a cockpit and occasionally they see something on a tv screen going on a circuit which like gives them information but if we're not actually feeding them fully information because we don't want to do that as well you don't want to kind of give them a full 
P1 to P20 rundown of the order and the gaps between it, because by the time you get through that, you're back around a level up and you can't talk to me in corners. And you've just got to be really kind of specific of what you give them in that sense. So, so yeah, but sometimes like they can, and they, they will kind of give a bit of feedback. So if you're going into a race where you're not sure how the tyres are going to behave and, or you need the tyres to behave in a certain way, and they can come back and say, no, I'm not like you'll say pre-race, you go, well, right. We've got to make it to lap 19 on this. Um, and then we can take it to the end of the race. And he's coming on lap 12 and going, I really can't make it to lap 19. We need to go to plan B. And it's like, you can look at the data and you can look at the lap times and you look at all the data we've got and you go, okay, yeah, he's not just saying that he's, he's really unhappy. Cause sometimes it can just be said cause they're stuck in a bit of traffic. But at that point, you're still like, no, just getting out of traffic was still not better converting to a two-stop at this point. But if, if your tyres are fully going off, then yes, we are better converting to a two-stop. Um, so it's, it's that kind of, yeah, it's that difficult thing of it. You can't overload them, but you still need to give them as much information as possible. And like, so like, I guess with some of the more experienced drivers, that can be the difference in some ways. Like, I guess Turkey would be a good example for like with Lewis in 2020. When he didn't, when they didn't pit, and they kind of the inters would worn all the way down. I guess interestingly, you can look at t- Turkey in twenty twenty one when Lewis was really unhappy about the strategy called that that race. How does it differ working with an experienced driver versus, say, a rookie? Because obviously, at Haas last year, two rookie drivers, um, and who who was. Who's the best driver that you've worked with from that perspective? Because obviously you've worked with champions as well. Um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, obviously working with rookies and working is... I actually really enjoyed it because especially when we're working with Mick is that he was, he's... You can tell he's been brought up by it and he's been obviously brought through the Ferrari Academy and he's really keen. He's really knowledgeable and like he really listened. He asked good questions. And he, you could tell he just wanted to learn. So, like, you could actually give him that information and tell him to uh, like how to develop. So he, he started becoming a little bit more of a kind of kind of driver mentor more, more than anything to kind of say, right, this is these are the kind of things we we need to look at. And in that aspect, it was it was really pleasurable working with him. And then he he often as well, you know, you know, you know, with him like that is that like he's not going to come shouting over the radio as well as a rookie because he's still kind of well, some some do, but more often than not, you kind of for a start, like you've got to have a bit of a thick skin and you kind of if, if a rookie's doing it, you kind of that's what it is. It's like but then the experienced guys obviously do know that a little bit more. So it can help you, but it also can hinder you because they start getting a bit clever. Um so often you're like, I mean, in terms of Lewis, for example, it's like he's obviously world class. He's he good and he knows exactly what he's doing. But then sometimes He'll come on and, like I say, make the. He'll often make comments about his tires. About well, tires are definitely gone. And you said it so many times. My tires are gone. Tires are gone. And then he pumps in the fastest lap. And like more often than that, again, like I say we'll go. You look at the data. They're not gone. And he, I kind of uh, half the time he's doing it to try and I think because uh, everyone's listening to everyone else's radios. So you're trying to kind of give that indication to. You're trying to get someone else behind you to use the tyres a bit more because they're like, oh, his tyres are going, we'll push that a little bit more and it ends up them using the tyres where it's actually he's been managing them and he's, he's got a in it. So you, they sometimes have that bit more, a few more tricks up the sleeves, which as a strategist, 
you they're not they're not going to make it open because they they keep everything quite close to the chest. So, so you've got to be kind of aware with that in, in that respect. Um, so that makes things a little bit interesting. But then at the same time, they are sometimes very good with their kind of kind of feedback um, mm-hmm. and their kind of their knowledge again, that kind of experience of what they've what they've gone through before and how how you could possibly use that situation. But I'm not saying, but not all experienced drivers are like that. It's getting it varies. You can have a very good rookie driver who is probably better than a guy who's got six seasons under his belt. So it's, sure. it, it doesn't. It's very much the the mentality of of the driver rather than I kind of think their level of experience. Obviously, that bit of experience if they've been through things in the past can do it. But at that same time as well, that sometimes, again, with the driver, they'll see something happen in one race. And so they think that's possible in every race, but it's not. It's, uh, so you've got to kind of try and get into the head. But no, just because he ran a 55, like the album one, just because he ran 55 mm. laps on the C2 in Melbourne doesn't mean we can run 55 laps on the C2 in this next race. Yeah. <laughs> we should do that strategy. <laughs> well, no, no, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like with, with the Lewis thing, I personally love the Lewis bluff. And whenever Lewis comes on the radio and oh, the tires are going, I think, all right, he's got another twenty laps in him, right? And he's going to start b- banging in those. It's almost, it's almost got to the point that that bluff is almost not a bluff anymore <laughs> for him. Do, do you ever have any kind of like power struggles mid race with the driver, like them not coming in repeatedly after you've asked them to, or? surprising you in the stop and being like no i'm done with these tires even though you're saying all of our projections are saying stay out does that ever happen or is that just not done not really no because i think if it ever gets a kind of that stage in the relationship then something's kind of broken down somewhere um yeah you, you can kind of again like you you just the drivers are very much aware and, and then again unless something's broken down but we have a lot more information than they do. They they don't know what's going on. So if they're kind of like, we're not calling them in for a reason, and they kind of we we can see something. We can like try and reinforce them. And if they're really not happy, then eventually they'll kind of you've got to put it in. So like you you kind of get the given information. You kind of say in the terms of a strategy, but they're coming on going, oh my ties are done, my ties are done. He said, no, you you're matching the pace of X, Y, and Z. Fine strategies on plan you just got to reinforce them so it's not so much a battle with them you've just got to communicate correctly but they're obviously feeling something which they don't like but you kind of got to make it as well so like no but in our race situation it's fine it's, it's all right we're not suddenly struggling to others um or yeah or vice versa the difficult ones come and it's not difficult but is the transitional weather ones because the drivers have a lot better information than what we do on the pit wall in most cases so like going to dry tires like they can they can often tell in most cases there's like no it's ready for slick so you'll more often than not it's that understanding but if we if we're going to if we're going to dry you kind of you you often don't want to be the first one to do it because you can often look like an absolute muppet you do but you can obviously win it, great. Um, and sometimes you you hopefully wait for one car, you can quickly check the sectors and go, no, oh, fantastic, now he's going quick and get him in. But everyone has that information, so you, you kind of you don't want to wait too long on it. So sometimes you have a driver who's that little bit more confident, go, no, I can 
I'm gonna, it's going to be good going on to going on to drives now. I, I reckon we can do it. And it's like I can see the dry line. It's, I've got a grip. It's, it's it's okay. Difficult thing I think with the races we saw last year was that the intermediate once it got down to a certain point was actually behaving really well. So it was that difficult thing to go right. Well, I mean, it is it. Obviously, it's obviously been Istanbul both years, and it's the nature of the circuit as well. But see, it was a very difficult one to call that because the lap times weren't exactly going off on the intermediate. But obviously, the guys going on to new intermediates were quicker. But at that point, they were graining it. So it's that kind of balance out that could you just hang on to it enough to, to, to do it? Sure. And I guess it kind of that also plays into the kind of wider tapestry of not having been there for a decade almost, and also it suddenly being an October race. Whereas it had always been a, a kind of first half of the season race before that. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a couple of things on on that one. Yeah, hadn't been there for a while. I mean, obviously, twenty twenty it was freshly resurfaced. I think about two weeks before you got there. So I mean, we were walking on yeah cold weather because it was October November, just been resurfaced. I remember walking around on on the on the Thursday walking the track, and it was like you could feel how slippy it was just walking on it. And then it was and it was yeah people went out and they kind of. The first runs and it was just like there was no grip and there was no grip all weekend um because there wasn't much running on it. it was, I think it was literally just F1 and I think it got to a point on the Friday night they sent a load of um Renault Cleos round to try and grip it up. Obviously did nothing but it was, um it was quite hilarious watching that. Um and then obviously last year track had weathered in a little bit so it was that little bit better than you saw the lap times a lot better but it's still that nature that it didn't fully dry. It never got to that crossover. And it was a really strange situation. But because, this, again, the circuit's not used for any other point of the year. So you don't have that kind of rubber in it, weathered a little bit. But you're getting seen times where, like, it was really like the inters were going really quickly com- like, compared to a, a slick time. And you think it never gets that. This, in any other circuit, if, that, if your inter got that quick, you're like, Oh, that inter's going to destroy itself, and you go on to slicks. But the inter got down, and then you like put the slicks on. It's like no, it's still not slick weather. And it's just it was it's a really strange case of Istanbul. And I think no one's really ever got on top of the full reasons why why it behaves like it does. But no, it's, it was it was interesting in that sense. But I think last year's one, everyone again was a little bit thinking about the year before. So obviously you're going, well, like, and obviously Lewis had it in his mind, oh, I can't pit. I didn't pit last year and we won, and won the race. So I was like, I can't pit this year. I was like, but because it weathered slightly, the tyres, the new inters on a slightly dry line didn't grain as much. So they had that bit better performance, which was better than the, and yeah. So you just got to say, even year to year, things do slightly develop and evolve and you just got to try and, again, figure it out as quick as you can. <laughs> So I want to talk a bit about the lifestyle of working in F1 with your team and sort of the, the dynamics of that. So obviously last year was it was a long season um, and they're only getting longer. Um, what's it like being part of the race team? Obviously, you get really close to your team, your drivers, um, all the personnel, and you're away from home a lot. Is this a second family? You know, what, what's it actually like being in F1? Mm, um... Careful what I say here, I think. <laughs> no, I mean it's it is it is a situation where yeah, you're spending a lot of time with with people in close quarters. And it's um you do notice that 
if you don't get on, if like if there's a bit of unharmony or like disharmony, sorry, in in the team, quickly comes out, and you can. And it's very important to keep that morale high. I mean, there's a split as well, but like mechanics generally have to share rooms, so they have that. Uh, whereas the engineers get their own room, so the mechanics kind of obviously that have that situation where they could be away for three weeks, sharing a room for with a another guy for, for that period of time so if you're not sharing with someone you don't like then obviously you're going to have potentially quite some unhappy people in there so teams try and do what they can to kind of cater for that and then I think it's like anything it's like you, you're never going to be best mates with with everyone there it's it's a team but like there's the 60 odd people there so you, you have your groups which you kind of you need to you well you, you have your groups but make it survivable really because you like you say you're away from home for so long you you might want a close group of friends where you kind of go out for dinner and go and go like three or four of you go out for some food and a couple of beers and stuff and then you'll get other guys who want to maybe do, sample it a bit more and, and go go out a bit heavier and then like some of the younger lads where who who can cope with it a bit better than that i can at my age now um and it's it's difficult. It's definitely. I don't think you can ever say like. I don't think anyone who works in F one will come and say it's easy. It's because, for the end of the day, we're there to do a job. So like, you have something. A lot. Well, a lot of places you go, kind of. You're at the circuit. You you literally you see airport hotel circuit, and that's um, that's all you see. And then occasionally you get a couple of days downtime. If you if you're staying out, like say it's a double header flyaway or something, you might you might get a couple of days here or there just the way you can actually go to wander and and go and go and see some of the sites or just have a have a, have a bit of a rest. And that and that side of things is nice, but at the same time, it's 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 not easy. It's it's not the glamour and lifestyle that a lot of people think it is. Um, because as an F1 fan, right, we look at you and we think you get to go to every race. You've got tickets money can't buy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's the dream. But um, are, you, are you still that F1 fan that watched it on TV? Um, or does it change once you get into it? Um, I, I will admit that, like, it kind of, it, it does drain you a little bit. So, like, obviously... I love, I like, don't get me wrong, I like, I kind of feel like the job is fantastic. You get to do a job that a lot of people don't get to do. You do get to travel the world to a certain extent. Um, even if the paddocks just could be any country in the world, you, you kind of see the same thing. Um, and you get to see the cars, you get to speak to drivers. You, you do a lot of things that a lot of people obviously love to do. Um, and it's that balance, really, but you kind of, it's like, you have to make a lot of sacrifices to do it. Um, so you obviously give up a lot of family time. And it's also not like like we were chatting about earlier. It's not like we do the race and we come back home and then we've got a, a week at home just to chill out before going out to the next race. It's like, it's not okay. You get back home and then you're in work the next day. You're like, I have the engineers, you're doing all your post-race analysis, um, getting ready for the next race. The mechanics are stripping the cars down, servicing the cars, getting them rebuilt getting ready for the next race, any developments in that aspect. So it's it's not like we do the we just do the race and then it's kind of right, that's it. And then we'll go out to the next race and we do that 23 times a year. So 
and then on top of that you've obviously got to you've got to try and make up with everyday life as well so your partner who you've not seen for two weeks um or your kids or something and like you kind of you've got to kind of go and obviously put in bit, put in a bit of time with them you've got to try and make up for not being around or not doing a school run and, and and that aspect so you've got those weights on that so Sometimes, sometimes I know some people actually see the traveling out to races as, as a bit of a break because they're actually flat out trying to make up for going out for the races. But um, it's it's a great job. It, it it is really a good job. Um, but it's it's really it is punishing. I mean, and, and I've I like I've seen a lot of people, especially the last couple of years, because COVID hasn't made things easy as well. Because obviously there's a lot of restrictions of we weren't able to go out. Or you had to kind of stay in your hotel and numerous PCR tests you have to do. So that made things a bit difficult. So obviously with things opening up a little bit more now, it's um hopefully it makes things a bit easier. And they're, they're trying to they're trying to help out by kind of increasing the curfew periods. But actually what that's doing at the moment is it's just putting the same amount of workload into a shorter period of time for the for, especially for the mechanics. So they're they're absolutely flat out and like especially this new regulation is trying to build a car with these new cars there's always going to be issues so they're kind of they're working absolutely flat out trying to build cars trying to get it in before curfew basically they're not getting to stop for a, a break at the moment they're not even getting something to eat they're getting a couple of sandwiches brought to the garage they can buy that in between work they're like so they're doing kind of 15 16 hour days flat out and 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 they do it so and this is the other thing really obviously is that when you go to a race weekend it's 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 a 90 hour week generally that's it's kind of like it's so you you know it's not just the the glamour of the couple of practice sessions i mean like the hours like before the tv starts the guys have been at the track like four hours before and and after the tv finishes they're there for another seven hours and like you know all that time constantly they're like pushing it and, and trying to get everything done and trying to make it and and it's i understand like i see, see a lot of comments on on kind of twitter and stuff like that but like the fans love it and the fans bring it and obviously at the end of the day that's what the teams do it for so that's like it, it is an enter it's a sport but it's obviously if there's no one watching it it would make no money so it wouldn't exist so it's it's that kind of crossover but you have to do it for the fans um but it's going to come to a point if they keep adding races or if they keep adding this aggressive schedule but people just aren't going to do it anymore because it's it's just it's not worth it there's um there's it's it especially you'll, you'll get guys and I, I already know it you get a couple of guys coming in to be mechanics in the early to mid 20s they do it for a couple of years travel the world great done that now i'll go and do something else because i can get paid just as well to do something but i'm actually sat at home um and i've tried i've got to travel the world i've experienced it got my cv tick done and then you're just going to start struggling to get that kind of personnel that have that long longevity so the quality will start to drop and the same with engineers you'll find that oh, an engineer can actually i can go and work for that kind of you know, land rover or something and jaguar jaguar or something and they'll pay me just as much to go and do this and i don't i don't i work a nine-to-five job and get paid overtime you know, so, you know there's no overtime or anything in f1 so it's that kind of balance but you start pushing it too far the quality is going to drop in terms of the personnel working in the sport as well and therefore then the like then the quality will drop in terms of the racing and then 
it's 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 difficult it's um yeah it's it's an interesting question like it's one that i think they just need to be cautious of as well because i mean you don't need in my opinion you don't need to have 25 plus races a year you like yeah. every every weekend is is ample it's 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 it's, it's a great it's like it's a nice because it takes it because it's not like a football match where you stick it on for 90 minutes and it's done like all right if you just watch the race it's 90 minutes but if you want to watch all the build-up for it that's an hour and a half before it then you watch the actual race then you watch all the footage afterwards and maybe that's because f1 is as well it's because there's a lot of stories there's a lot of kind of information you need to gather before it so it's not just the 90 minutes of the race and racing because that's actually not where the full entertainment is it's the kind of anticipation to come what's coming and then hearing the interviews and hearing that that, that respect uh, about it and or seeing the cars like in the pit lane and kind of um getting the kind of technical analysis and if you start mm. as a fan designating all your time to that you're putting in a good chunk of hours each weekend yourself and then you, you they get to a point where you start going I can't do this every like 30 weekends a year and, it, and then it starts devaluing it a little bit as well so I think you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, if we feel like that as fans, you can only imagine the, the, the team members. Yeah. I mean, like I said, like, don't get me wrong. It's like, it's, it's, it's a cracking job. It really is. And it's something like I love doing and I like that I'm still involved with it now. And um, like, it's like a bit of a back, back, further back roles, which is suits my bit of my work-life balance a little bit, but you just got to be cautious because, the other, the other thing as well, like I've seen, I've I've seen a few people like starting to actually get physically ill from it, and we're only on race four. And it's like it's kind of it's just intense. It's because at the end of the day as well, it's like it's a sports-driven result. So like if if you're working for a team like Haas last year, and I mean Haas, we still had to turn up every week. We still had to put the effort in. You still have to do it because sponsors are paying money. Fans are watching. There's still fans of Pats who want us to do well. And they, I, I see the comment last year. I used to you know, say, oh, this week, we might get points this week. And you're there reading. No, no, we won't. Because <laughs> it was that. I mean, last year it was. It was that kind of. We, 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 yeah, we're not giving up, but it was just, it wasn't going to happen. And that's the way F1s were. It's like, mm-hmm. You, you, you can kind of know what's going to happen. You never get that. You get the freak result occasionally, but you still need to be in that position to be take advantage of that freak result, which passing largely weren't last year. Mm. Um, yeah, so you then get pressures on you from from above. So it's not kind of it's just we're turning up, building some race cars, racing around a bit, having fun, entertaining. It's like there's pressure on these guys as well. There's like pressures to get the cars built. There's pressures to perform. There's there's pressures from drivers like. Like from a strategist point of view, you're kind of there going, well, I, I really don't want to like mess up for, for this driver. I, I, I want to get this result for him. I want to, um, I, I don't want to, to, to mess up this strategy. I need to put, so I need to put more work in. I need to kind of make sure I've covered off all these opportunities and all these um, potential issues. Um, so everyone builds that pressure. And then if results don't happen, like, pressure builds and it builds on certain people and then and then and like you go back to this question where you all travel you're all close knit you're away from home a bit but once the pressure starts to build people start to kind of get a bit edgy and then you're away from home for three weeks and you've been under the same people and someone who's even your best mate can really get on your nerves and it's kind of like 
you pressure is good. Pressure does different things to different people. And while it may not come across and show it, it's um, it's a stressful it's a stressful industry as well because there's a lot of money involved and there's people putting a lot of money into it. So results are important at the end of the day because I know people, I worked with people who worked for Marussia, Manor, who've kind of gone under. So they've been out of a job and been in that situation where a team's gone under. And, and while everyone looks quite stable now, you just don't know what's going to happen in the future. You don't know, like, if someone's just going to go, nah, but I've had enough now. It's like, even even up to the top level of Mercedes, well, it's doubtful. You might see that Mercedes actually, Mercedes board might start to go, nah, we, we don't want to put our, Put the amount of money or the name into it anymore, and mm. suddenly you're having to make 200 people redundant just to get it down to because they can sell the team on. But someone who doesn't quite have the same backing, I'm not saying that is going to happen, but it's just that no team in that field, apart from maybe your Ferrari and Red Bull, is fully financially stable. And like, mm. because F1's an expensive business, and unless you're winning, you're probably not going to recoup your money you're putting into it. So, you need that backer in there, which um which is happy to unfortunately lose money, which not many people are. Yeah, I mean, it certainly sounds like the kind of the highs are really high and the lows can be really, really low. And I guess one thing I would be interested to hear about is your highs in the sport. So what strategy calls have you been involved in that were kind of your favourite or the ones that you were particularly proud of? And also, what are your favourite kind of strategy calls from, from all time? Because obviously the album strategy in Melbourne has kind of brought a bit of a focus to it um, of late. Yeah, I mean, I think mine, so like I, I answered this the other day on, on Twitter. Like my, I think someone asked a similar one based on the album strategy. It was like, well, what, what, do, what do you think is a really good strategy? But um, but I don't know. It's like, from my point of view, it was the, um, I know we got a penalty for it, but pitting under the, um, before the formation lap in Hungary and when in 2020, does that to, to um yeah to get off the the wet tires and onto slicks to to start so start from the pit lane effectively mm-hmm. and I mean and again this is a kind of it's a situation from that one where we needed to do something drastic to get points because the car wasn't wasn't very good and you often the strategy point of view if you put yourself in that position where you're actually running third or fourth then you have a chance. If you're running down about 13, 14, hoping that something happens in front of you, very rarely it does. You need to put yourself so that third or fourth, eventually, once it settles down, you still end up eighth or ninth and you, and you get that position. But that for us was fantastic. I mean, I, I, I really like, yeah, I was, I was very happy with that. That was, that, that, that's, that's definitely one of my top ones. And I think that's probably my boldest one. But a lot of them are just kind of, for me, it was just a lot of times my satisfaction and happiness in kind of strategy calls are just when a plan comes to fruition. So you like you can plan it out knowing right, like this is what we've got to be aware of, this is what we've got to if we do this here, we've got a chance to get this position. And then you do it and you get that position. Like so you just do that undercut. It might be only gaining one position or something, but kind of you've planned it out and you've kind of plotted out, you've told what's going to be to be done, you called it at the right time, the pit stop's good. Ties are good on the outlap, so you've got all that planned in. They cover it, try to cover your next lap, and you get that position. That is, there is that kind of thing like punching the air on the pit wall when you see yourself come out in front of that other car. And that, so it's just that kind of general on there. Um, 
in terms of other strategies, I mean, it's it's a it's a difficult one. Like the album one last week was great. I mean, that was kind of it's it, it was it was bold again, and it was and it's one of those ones where yeah, you need to you need to roll the dice a little bit. You need to kind of do something a different, bit different. But actually, what I think what people didn't actually kind of pick up on that one as well is actually the car performed a lot better than I think they were expecting. So if you actually look at the pace of it, it wasn't too dissimilar to your Alfa Romeo's, your Haas, your, even your McLaren. It was like his lap times were actually matching them um, in, that, in, like, in certain points in that race. So a lot of these strategies, which are bold, can only come off if the car has a bit of performance as well. Um, so, so they're they're the kind of yeah little factors to look at in terms of kind of other people. I mean, I think I think the Lewis strategy, the Mercedes strategy in Barcelona last year um, was a good one. Um, I mean, I'm quite like as I've looked at it, like obviously it works really well because he put the pressure on and made that second pit stop, and then obviously didn't give Verstappen the chance to react to it, and then got Verstappen and passed him. I mean, I like a lot of people. I like, look at it, and it, it was a great call, and it, it was good because they looked like they were both on a one stop. But actually, going into that race, I had I, I was already very much that's a two stop race. So I was like, when they did that, I was just like, well, yeah. It's like I'd already felt like in, in my eyes that's what that was what the done strategy was. They pulled the kind of trigger a little bit earlier than they potentially was, but they made it kind of possible because I think Red Bull cornered themselves in that one, but. If I remember it correctly, they only had they only had one set of mediums to use or something, whereas Mercedes had two sets of mediums or two sets of hard or I can't remember which right way around it was, but it meant that Verstappen couldn't go as early as what Mercedes pulled it because he only had um, like a, a medium left to, to put on instead of a hard or oh sorry, I can't remember the, the ins and outs of it. But that was that was a good strategy because that that was a it's always those ones where you react, you sorry, you don't react to something. Well, you react to a situation, you go, okay, if we don't do something different, we're not we're not gonna um we're not gonna get the, the result we, we want. Um so we try something. Mercedes are like, like a little just to put a bit of caveat on that strategy. While it was it was a good call, really successful. I mean, they didn't have anything to lose. Literally, if he pitted and didn't win, he would have finished second. It wasn't like he was pitting from second and Potentially, if it went wrong, he was going to finish seven. He was pitting from second, I think, behind Bottas. So he literally had to pass his teammate, and that, and that, and then he was back in the same position he was. The midfield strategies are often where it becomes a lot more complicated because to do something different, you're potentially costing yourself six or seven positions. So you go like you say, if, and if this doesn't come off, I'm potentially putting ourselves out of the points. So it's in a touching place for a, a potential podium, say if a couple of cars drop out, to put ourselves in 12th, and then you kind of, yeah, that kind of runs out. And then the other one from my side, I stands in, and it, it didn't work out, but it had that potential. So again, it was into Lagos in 20, 2019. Um, so the one where signs got on the podium, I think. Um, and like, we were running like so. We were with Roman. We were running right behind signs on a similar age tyres, and we decided not to pit on the safety car restart. Then, unfortunately for us, everyone came past us at the safety car restart, but they weren't able to pass signs. And like he came in up, so it, oh, and then eventually, like we couldn't get the tyres restarted, so it didn't work for us. But like you kind of look at what 
signs accomplished from us and then you kind of, this is what potentially could have happened and we wouldn't have deserved to finish on the podium but if we just got that like if say the tires had been five laps younger or something or we just put a bit more temperature in under that safety car and got them restarted then that chance of getting that podium was was just there and it just shows like kind of the fine margins on those when you're doing that kind of bold strategy you can like um, Roman came up to me when well, we should have put in the safety car I said well fine think fit and it was like works for him I was just like because I, I always get the other way you always get either way so no matter what you do you're, you're never right when a driver comes in you're like as a strategist like you should have always done the opposite of what you did basically yeah it's like so if we had pitted it yeah, I can guarantee if we'd pitted under the safety car, to come back to me and science didn't pit, look where he finished. <laughs> and then so and then because we didn't and he fell off, he, it's always always hindsight with them. But yeah, so that was a good one. But yeah, like I said, um, the strategy ones are just generally just generally if you if you get a plan nailed on and everything comes right, because you put yeah, you know, say you put all that work into it. So all over the weekend all the run-ups were building the days of building everything it's like sometimes like you can do these kind of and i had it in 2020 when the car wasn't very good and it's kind of case of we need to do something different you're like looking at it going i mean this is going to work one time out of a thousand it's like you might luckily get that a thousandth case where everything lines up perfectly but like you're telling the driver because the driver wants to go i want to do something different i don't want to finish I don't want to finish 16th. I want, I want to be in a chance to get at some point. Okay, all right, this way. This will get us points in this one specific situation. If we're running here, the safety car comes out, and this kind of thing. This goes back to the point where I kind of said where you need that bit of car pace as well. If you're going to do something a bit bold, you need a little bit of car performance as well. Otherwise, your strategy is just, yeah, you're a little bit of a sitting duck. Mike, the temptation right now to ask you about your view on the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix last year is killing me, but I'm not going to because we have run out of time. Mike, it's it's been it's been a journey. It's been a pleasure. I, I've learned so much today. I mean, Sam, are you educated? Oh, completely. I I found it fascinating to to hear that level of depth. Uh, the depth, yeah, that goes into the the, the strategy calls is is I've really really enjoyed it. So thank you very much. Um, Mike, for our listeners that want to follow your journey, um, you're you're a Twitter man, aren't you? How, how can that? How can they follow you? Uh, yeah, so on Twitter, so um, it's at Mike Caulfield F1. Um, Mike, thanks so much for coming along, and um, hopefully we'll catch up soon. Yeah, no, fair enough. Again, thanks for having me. No, it's been uh, no uh, great pleasure. And yeah, anytime you want, want me back on, if you need a bit of, bit of. Um, insight or opinion then, uh, then give me a shout absolutely and we have so many more questions as well so we'll definitely get you back on uh, thank you very much Mike. Podcast Network.